0: Thank you so much. Um, My name is Colleen and I'm a Kaposiwa reader and thank you Andrea for asking me to be of service tonight. It really is an honor Um, and it's good to see a lot of familiar faces Um, although I miss seeing you all in person. Um, You know it's it's interesting I was thinking about um, we were kind of talking before the meeting about things that we're grateful for, like toilet paper, and that we're not, there's no massive rushes at the grocery stores or something, or empty shelves of toilet paper anymore. Um, and how this year's really sort of, for me, um, I would say that my, my life of, um, of recovery has been very much the degree to which I can measure the number of things that I'm grateful for that in some cases I never thought I would be grateful for, or even just things that I just constantly took for granted, you know, um, and because my eyes are opened and I can see that, you know, um, so To to give you an idea, so my abstinence date is August 4th, 2002. So I've been abstinent about 18 and a half years. My top weight that I know was 311 pounds. So I've been maintaining about 165 pound weight loss for probably 15 years or something like that. Um, And I do have, I'm going to share a picture. Let's see here. Here we go. Hopefully you can see this. Um, when I first came into program in 2002, I was a school teacher at the time. I wasn't a student. <laughs> Somebody actually asked me, what's that when you were a student?" No, I was a teacher at the time. Um, so this t- was taken probably one month into program. Um, clearly, you could see I was pretty heavy, and my weight might have been higher than 311, but that's the the last number I remember seeing on a scale. Um, And it shows you the degree to which I was really out of touch with my own body and my own sense of what food was doing to me and to my life. Um, And, you know, it really is remarkable the degrees um, of deprivation and complete oblivion that this disease will take you to, which is, you know, it's something that I apparently needed or or managed to find as a, uh, a way of handling life. Like as as long as I could be numbed out and I could be checked out and I didn't have to feel and I didn't have to know like where I was in my body, the better off I was. Um, And so, you know, I don't remember like my first compulsive bites. There's number of occasions that I remember things around food when I was a kid. I mean, things, basically things got really, um, let's just say I learned early on that it was not okay to be in my own skin. It just wasn't safe, and I didn't feel the, the sense of safety that I needed to to be able to thrive. So I had to find something really quickly, um, and you know that's the remarkable nature of us as as human beings and what it means to be part of this natural world that it is is designed for survival. So I found a survival tool, and that tool was food. You know, um, at three years old, I'm not going to be able to uncap the whiskey bottle. Although, you know, had um, maybe it happened, things had gotten bad at a later age, I would have picked that because there really is no stopping. I mean, I'm really on some level hugely grateful for the fact that the food worked to the degree that it did for the length of time that it did. Because had it not, I would have turned to other things. You know, I've sat in meetings over the years, open A meetings, other programs, and I listened to people's stories about them shooting up stuff in their arm or, you know, sexing out or, you know, gambling. I I totally understand all of it. Like it was just like, just numb me up. And I really relate to the idea of like, if I could have just put up an IV, you know, I remember there was a joke going around at one point as a teacher, like, would we like, You know, one of the things that would be really nice to have as a teacher is like an IV line of caffeine in the in the teacher's room or something like that. And I was like, yeah, except I'd want it full of sugar and everything else. Like, you know, if that would have been a faster way, um, I I would have done it. If it would it would have been a possible way. Um, And so my degree, my disease, brought me to a place of. you know, mockery um, in the public eye. It brought me to a place of embarrassment and shame. Um, It brought me to a place of literally like lying to people's faces because I bought into the lie that like I didn't have a problem with food, you know? And um, you know, like really little things like wearing all black because that makes you thinner. Well, when you're over 300 pounds, nothing makes you look thinner, you know? Um, and I even, I tried to, you know, buy into the whole, like, there was a movement for a while of like large people and like fat acceptance, I think it was called. I mean, I'm sure it's still around. I just don't hear it much. Um, and I, I tried it. Like I bought a book called living large and loving it and I didn't love it, you know? Um, and you know, to a large extent, my disease existed in such a way that it was a way of me, um, both hurting myself and also just not having to feel. Like I really live life from like the neck up, you know. And um it just was, you know, I always think of, you know, I'm I'm like a lot of people, very sensitive. I have lots of feelings of lots of big feelings. Um in absence I've learned you can have multiple feelings that are completely opposing all at the same time. it's a wonder my head doesn't split in two sometimes, like how is this possible? And, and the reality of it is, is that feelings also create a physical experience. So there was this dual nature of like all of this stuff going on in my head and feelings in my body. It was too much, too much. And I needed something to numb out. So that's what the food did for me, you know. Um, I mean, eating vast amounts of quantities, driving around from place to place to get my stash, you know, when I worked as a teacher, um, I worked every weekend because I was such a dutiful teacher. No, because it gave me a really good excuse to go to all this place, get my huge staff of stuff, you know, close off myself in my classroom and like sit and do this while I graded papers. In fact, I remember early on in abstinence, I was grading papers one day after school and I thought something feels strange. And I thought, oh, because I'm just grading papers, I'm not also doing this at the same time you know like it was like my hand was like what am I supposed to do you know so when I when I first came in I um you know I I wasn't too sure about this whole thing you know I went to a meeting at the suggestion actually of a therapist that I was seeing at the time she thought I might like the group thing um because I'd been in this one I mean I tried numerous things over the course of the years um you know, talking to different dietitians. I was in certain like nutrition groups. I remember there was this one in high school. <laughs> I just laughed because this, this guy, he was actually a very attractive looking guy. Not like most of the dietitians i had come across were these, honestly, I just thought it was like a, a this, the biggest irony in the world. They were always these very thin women. And I was like, and I'd look at them and go, okay, listen, I know I'm only 15, but like, I somehow don't think you know anything about what you're talking about with food because I get the feeling you'd eat like a bird and you'd be full. Like, I just was like, and I'm not going to tell you anything. Um, so I would just lie to them, you know, and then find my way out of there or whatever. And, um, I was never bold enough to try any diet groups or any, you know, I was in Weight Watchers. My mom brought me in when I was a kid and I was 10. So of course I hated that because there are all these old people there. Um, meaning they were probably over 20, but, um, you know, there was, it was mostly because my mother was forcing me to, and I was supposed to eat other things, and I didn't like that idea, so, um, but I remember um, this dietitian said something about, like, listen to your body, you know, your body wants broccoli, you know, and it wants salad, and it wants, and I remember thinking, no. <laughs> my body wants like fried chicken and cookie dough and ice cream and cake and all this stuff. And um, (laughs) well, that's what my head wanted. Like I had no clue what my body wanted, you know, like, and I still don't know, you know, like, I remember one of the sponsors I had early on talked about like the gas gauge that lets you know when you're full, like she's like, sweetheart, that that was broken in me. And she's like, maybe one day it'll be restored, but I'm not sitting around waiting for that. So for that reason, like I weigh and measure food, I mean, you know, when I think about that for, you know, um, probably 17 and a half years now, cause I didn't start weighing and measuring my food right away. That started a year into abstinence. Um, I have weighed out like three ounces, four ounces of chicken or five ounces of fish or something, <laughs> you know, you think by now, like, I know how much that is, but I can tell you the number of times that I've weighed out and went. How is that possibly four ounces of anything? Like, that's just not, that's just too small. How is that, you know? So I have to do those kind of things to keep myself in check because, you know, maybe one day that gauge will be fixed, but so far, no. So um, anyways, I I clearly couldn't listen to my body (laughs) because the only thing, my head was so loud, how could I listen to my body? And how could I listen to something I couldn't stand and I didn't want to be in? So, um, when I came in, um, I had been in this this program or whatever that was about connecting food and emotions, which I also didn't really make much of a connection to. I remember this one dietitian um, when i, I did never realized how many dietitians i'd gone to. I think that was like my parents' solution like we'll send her to the you know the health plan, gets a dietitian covered or whatever so um you know she had said something like do you think you eat over feelings and I was like no and I I mean I really didn't like I didn't I didn't know I had any feelings well no I had two I had hungry and I had fine and I'm not kidding you like early on in abstinence I I got one of those like face charts that I think therapists have in their office that say like have different faces for different emotions because I I really didn't know what emotions I was having I really just was like I'm uncomfortable you know um, especially as I got abstinent because it was like now all of a sudden I was re having feelings in my body and I wasn't eating over them. So, you know, I've always heard people say in program, like, well, at least you're abstinent because you're feeling, you know? And I thought, is that supposed to be a consolation? Cause it wasn't one. But um, I remember seeing the, the chart and like, okay, that's, you know, frustration, that's anger. I mean, the big ones I, I knew, although I didn't actually get angry. I I thought, I don't get angry because um, nice girls don't get angry. No, actually, I just don't allow myself to fit. Now I do because I have healthy forms of expressing that anger. But um, <laughs> yeah, I use sarcasm. That was what I used to call the nice girl's anger. I was so sarcastic, it wasn't even funny. Um, but I remember looking at that chart going, it's oh, really funny. Hungry's not on there. Because whenever I was in a therapist's office or something, and they'd say, how do you feel? My first thought was hungry. You know, of course, I didn't say that. But, like, I didn't realize, like, how much I circumvented everything. And my mind will still do that. Like, it will go to hung- if and I th- And I've learned to just be like, okay, wait a minute. Because... First of all, I just finished eating breakfast. So the fact, the idea that I'm hungry, like physically hungry is probably not true. The reality is probably I'm having feelings. So what I learned to do over the years in recovery, as I worked the steps and as I stayed abstinent, as I rid myself, well, I didn't rid myself. I acknowledged, um, I admitted my alcoholic foods. I put those on my abstinence and then one day at a time by God's grace, I am not called to eat those. And um, But like, what I realized is that if that thought of that food pops in my head, or um, more so as I got further on in program, the disease in my head wouldn't say something like, let's have chocolate cake, because I'd be like, that's really funny. No. Um, but it will be like, oh, do, you know, like, our thighs feel heavy like oh how do we look in the mirror like it'll it'll do something about my body um and you know what i've learned is like oh okay i'm probably having feelings so because my brain is wired it pops up as like a food thought or "Mm, i don't want to eat what i plan to eat or you know how much is this and the weight of this, the measurement of this, you know, like it'll spin about something because that's more familiar or in some of them, maybe more comfortable. And, you know, it's funny, something my sponsor said to me, I don't know, sometime in the last couple of years, she said, you know what, sometimes maybe that's okay. You know, as long as I don't like go, oh, then I should eat this or change this or do this, but just recognize like maybe right now, what I need is a safe space to sit or focus because I'm not yet, Ready to handle whatever's coming up, whatever those feelings are. And I can turn to my higher power and say, Help me with this. Give me the courage to feel this. You know, and that's one of my prayers constantly like, God, give me the courage to feel these feelings. And slowly over time, I learned like they don't kill me. You know, they're not always the decision makers. Most of the time, they're not. They're just indications. Um, So, you know, when I, when I did come into program and I heard people talking about things that I didn't know other people knew, you know, it wasn't like I was hiding it, you know, or like I wasn't consciously hiding. Clearly, I was hiding it because, um, you know, I was thinking everything's fine, you know, um, and but I also saw people like open up about stuff and no matter what anybody said, we all clapped. And I was like, whoa. And so for the first time in my life, I found a place that I felt safe enough. And for that reason alone, I think, um, well I mean, I can't say for a lot. There's multiple reasons, but that reason is what allowed me to, the willingness to keep coming back. And so I listened to what people said. I went to a couple of meetings, and then I decided, okay, you know. And I, the very first meeting I had gone to, this woman, she was an anorexic, and she was sharing her experience. and And I remember sitting there thinking, okay, not eating is not my problem. Like I don't understand. But she sat down with me after that meeting, and she answered my question. I mean, her hand shot up. You know, somebody want to answer newcomers' questions. She's like, "I will," and I was like, "Okay." And so she stayed after the meeting and she talked to me. And she's like, "You know what?" She's like, "I just recommend you go to six meetings before you decide if this is for you." And it was the best thing she ever said to me because I was like, "Okay." So I went to the um, Sunday, Sunday the following morning because they had a newcomers meeting. <laughs> and I remember they brought out the big book, you know, and they were like, "This is the book," and I remember looking at it going, there's all this stuff about alcohol, I don't have a problem with alcohol. Like, and I think in the meeting I said something like, I don't get it, like, what does this have to do with food? <laughs> and the funny thing is I have no idea what the person said to me, but um, I, it didn't matter. Like I was, I was looking for a reason to be like, man, this doesn't make any sense. And then the third meeting I went to was actually that same night, it was a Sunday night in the valley, um, at the San Fernando Valley. And they had the steps on the wall, and I saw God in like every single one of the steps. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. I mean, I really didn't know anything about 12 steps, and I didn't know it was a spiritual program. I didn't know this whole idea of God or higher power had anything to do with that. And that was something that had always been a part of my life. I was raised in a formal religion. But I had learned early on because I, you know, some of the consequences of being a fat kid growing up, like I didn't, went through periods of not having any friends and stuff. And so the idea of there being some sort of God that I could consider a friend had been really helpful to me. Now, mind you, I did not include God in anything having to do with my food or my body because I figured that was not stuff God was concerned about. God was concerned about things like world hunger and clearly that hadn't been solved. So God was busy. But I did feel a sense of like, it was something I could turn to somehow. And I'd spent many years, you know, praying and, you know, but my prayers were things like, God, please, you know, I'd like, at the end of a binge at the end of the night, I'd like touch my body around and be like, okay, God, just make me skinny when I wake up. Like, and you know, I was just like, just make this madness go away. Like my body is the problem. And um, so when i came in so at that point i was like and i think that was another sort of clincher for me and i was like okay and you know one of the things about me my stubbornness my diligence whatever you want to call it like when i make a decision i make a decision you know and so i was like okay i'm gonna do this so i got a sponsor because you said to get a sponsor we established an abstinence, you know and i was going to a couple meetings a week you know and i was essentially kind of trying to do it on my own because she would say call me whenever you need to so I never called her because I didn't want to bother her that doesn't work so a couple months in um, I was at a meeting and the speaker looked at me and I must have shared something and she's like sweetheart you're trying to do this on your own and so she literally grabbed this other woman's hand and mine and said work with her and so this woman had me call her every morning she said you need to go at least three meetings a week this is the sponsor the second sponsor I had who you had the guts to say to me, you might want to look at this thing with sugar. Or are you willing to go without it for 30 days? And I was like, okay. Again, like the sky opened up or something and there was this willingness. And I did. And at the end of the 30 days, I had sugar and it felt like crap. It felt like complete crap. And i I'm probably one of the first of many apologies that I made to my body. And I said, I'm so sorry. I had no idea what I was doing to you all this time. And so from then on, I, I stopped having um, blatant sugar. Um, and the hardest of that, by the way, speaking of mainlining things, was regular soda. Uh, even though it wasn't a food, I just knew I could rationalize drinking Pepsi all day long and, and not eating like cake, because I knew it did the same thing for me. Um, and from there, things really opened up and my willingness increased. I mean, first I hit a wall because I had a bunch of um, traumatic memories surfaced for me that sugar had worked really well at keeping down. So I kind of like hit a block and you can eat lots of stuff, even if it's not sugar. But within a couple of months, I just, you know, maybe I'm too practical for my own good, but I was like, this is overeaters anonymous and I'm still carrying, I mean, I probably lost about 30 pounds, a lot of extra weight. And so I'm either doing this or I'm not doing it. So I made another decision. And that is very much for me, what coincides what it says in the big book on page 58 says, if you have decided you want what we have, then you are ready to take certain steps. So i had been doing some step org, some issues in service with the sponsor. And I just basically sort of really recommitted myself and that was just after a year of abstinence. And I went from reporting my food at the end of the day to another person to committing it ahead of time to my sponsor, getting on the scale once a week, weighing and measuring my food, upping my meetings, up in my service, really diving headfirst into my step work. And that's really what catapulted me much further into my recovery. Um, that is what enabled me to lose the rest of my weight. Um, and I didn't know how much would be. We never, we never talked about that. It was just like, this is what you do, you need to make sure moving this way on the scale. You know, um, and then reaching a healthy body weight it was like now I have nowhere to go like there was no goal to get to there was no place I was where I was supposed to be physically so now like really even more thank god at that point you know I was probably in my sixth or seventh step um, looking at these defenses of character and that's that's a lot of what the continual work has been for me over the years and I still have those practices of praying and meditating every day and sponsoring people and being sponsored and doing my steps and getting to a certain number of meetings. And um, like I said, committing my food ahead of time and getting on the scale once a week and doing all these things. And and when I look at how much of my life, the, I would say the number of things that I handle, the gravity of feelings that I have, the places of vulnerability, and um, just, I mean, life is hard (laughs) sometimes, you know, and it's also beautiful, and it's frightening, and it's exciting, and to be able to feel all of those things, and not break into, and not die, and not go crazy, and, and all those things, and you know, in and out of relationships, mended um, relationships with my family, learned how to create boundaries. I always say I got boundaries in my life when I put boundaries around my food, you know, um, having conversations with people that I would always not want to have. Um, You know, I work now um, in the healthcare industry as a supervisor. And, you know, I used to teach middle school. So, (laughs) I used to joke, actually, that we're all middle schoolers, just bigger size, but, you know, like dealing with adults who bring their patterns and their ways of behavior with them into their work life, you know, and being like, wow, I, when I was dealing with a 12-year-old, this made sense to me, but okay, you know, and meeting people where they are and learning how to balance having compassion without being um, enabling, you know learning how to hold people to the standard, you know, like I think about when it comes to, you know, people in program that I learned to see them for um, who they truly are versus maybe how they were seeing themselves, you know? Um, I think about something um, strangely that a friend of mine early on in program said to me that um, my sponsor was waiting for me outside the meeting before I got there one night and um she asked somebody if they saw me or whatever and they said who's that and she's and I somewhere in the course of the, the conversation or the description of me she said, oh she's stunning she just doesn't know it yet <laughs> and, and I remember I was like she said that about me you know and I was like, wow you know and just the idea that like someone held me in this place of regard that that is not a word I would have ever used to describe myself then or you know, I mean, yeah, you know now it's not like I go around thinking it, but it's not a foreign concept to me because I've learned to embrace what it means to be somebody who can stand up straight, somebody who can hold their own power, who can um, make room for God to shine through me, which is really what that's about. And I've um, got 10 minutes left. Thank you. And so these are all the things and the gifts of the 12 steps that, by the way, I never thought I wanted and um, or even knew were there to be had. You know, I thought I, there were other things that I wanted. And, and I'll just close with this and then I can open it for questions. And that is that, um, you know, I remember as a kid, I did a lot of daydreaming, you know, and I remember picturing things and none of those things have really come to fruition. But I find that I feel the way that I imagined I was feeling. And to me, that says something really powerful that speaks to the idea of someone who can embrace all kinds of feelings, that there really something is about that. Again, not that my feelings direct the course of my life, but they're information. Um, and they tell me something about things that are I hold dear. So, hopefully, something I said was helpful, and I'll just open it up for questions. Thank you, Colleen. Thank you so much for your share. And now is the time for questions. If you have a question for Colleen, please raise your blue hand in the participants section, and I will call on you as I see blue hands. And Kathy T has a question. Kathy. Hey, Kathy Compulsive over here. Thank you so much for your share. I did have a question. Um, you mentioned that you weigh and measure your food. Um, wondering what you do and if you do have um, like soup or, you know, lentil soup or anything like that, if you do have that, how do you weigh and measure that specific type of food? Um, well, I'm not a big soup eater because I, I don't really like drinking my food. <laughs> Um, but um, anything like that I mean I weigh and measure things but then I read labels so I would just look at like what's a serving size and stuff like that and so that's that's how I'd handle things like that so when I have had soup I'd look okay what's the serving size. Thank you. Uh, Michael S. is next. Hi. Hi Colleen. Oh my gosh amazing. Uh, thank you so much. Um, I, wa- I was wondering about your relationship with your body now and If you ever encounter uh, any old, like old thinking, um, body dysmorphia, anything like that, I'd love to hear. Sure. Um, My relation with my body now is is, uh, much, much better. A lot of healing has happened there. Um, And sure, yeah, I still have moments where. Like I'm aware that like my perception of how what my body looks like is is a little off. So I, I don't put a lot of stock in like, oh yes, that's true. Like is and I, I really notice that like when my head's in a certain place that like my <laughs> my my perspective on myself is less than. So I just know like I it's really on some level like none of my business what I think about my body and I try and um I do an active role of gratitude. You know, like I'll just share this. So I get on the scale every Saturday morning and I pray and meditate before I do that. And in my prayer, part of my prayer is I write a letter to God. And I and I always every Saturday I write, I turn over my focus on the number on the scale and turn my eyes in gratitude for the functionality and um, the ability to be present in life that this body gives me. And so I'm consistently tr- like moving in the direction of that it's less about like sort of the um, what it looks like or what it's supposed to be and just being in acceptance and gratitude for the gift of it is to be fully in this body. But it's an active thing that I do. Lucy, you're up. Hi, Colleen. Thank you so much. Um, I'd love to know how on a daily basis you work your conscious contact with God. And you mentioned before the meeting started about doing a daily 10th step at night and what, t- around what time you do that? Time in the evening. I do it or. Okay. So, um, around actions around my spiritual life. So, um, I mentioned I, I do a daily prayer and meditation practice. Part of that is I write a letter to God and basically it's like turn. I, I started by saying, thank you. And thank you for the gift of absence, the opportunity to be of service today. And then I will like turn over my food, my weight, my body image, you know, um, things that I'm consistently like, that are, like niggling in my brain or whatever that I'm likely to get stuck on. Um, and then anything I know that might be happening or going on that day or things coming up, you know, like I, I know... holidays can be tricky and stuff and so i turn that over like all the stuff about the pandemic like that i've been like writing as a way of turning that over and then i um i do um have this sort of uh yoga, yoga mantra that i do for a couple of minutes and then i sit in meditation just means i sit in quietness and then i have a scripture reading that i have um not a scripture right now i've been reading um this uh uh Eastern poet. I can't think of his name. It doesn't matter. Um, And, you know, and then throughout the course of the day, you know, I mean, I even have like a reminder on my calendar every day at 2 44 p.m. I get this little thing on my calendar and it says, hey, Colleen, I've got you on this one God, you know, Mm -hmm. and sometimes it goes off right at that time. Sometimes it's, um, you know, a couple minutes lag or whatever. And and like sometimes it's a surprise, sometimes it's not. my 10 step, I don't do a full 10 step every night. I used to, I do one at least once a week, um, but I do a gratitude list every night. And it's one of the last things that I do at night because um, I try and think of it as a, way, a good way of closing out my day. Um, but I would say certainly within the last couple of hours of my day, I do that. Thanks Colleen, Jeffrey is next. Jeffrey, you had a question? You're, you're muted, Jeffrey. I can't hear you. Thank you, uh, Colleen, for a wonderful share. I have uh, 101 days of abstinence and today. I'm grateful for my recovery. And I was struck by your, your weighing yourself every week. I have not, since I've come into the fellowship, used a scale or wanted to be on a scale, because I wanted to, I want to resist the temptation to believe that I'm on a diet or that somehow that number is significant today, when I've done that for decades, I don't, so I avoid that, and I'm wondering why you weigh yourself every week, and what that information, does it help you in your program to know, and do you go up and down emotionally if the number is off, or do you react to the number? Um, That's where I am today, and thank you again for a great leap. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Um. So yeah, I the, honestly the reason I get on scale it's because my sponsor directed me to. That was the one thing she gave me this list years ago of things I had to do, and that was the one I went. Can I do that every two weeks? She's like, No, every week. And I said, Okay. So I've just continued it in my practice because um, it seems to work. Um, and you know, I don't have a lot of history of dieting or measuring things. Like I pretty much avoided scales most of my life, so I don't have a whole. Um, back and forth doesn't mean I love getting on the scale, but for me, it, it keeps me in the, the reality of it. And I've learned that it's information, not ammunition. Um, and so sometimes I can get stuck or I'm thinking about the number, but I just turn that over. And I just I, the other thing is, I turn the number over to my sponsor. So, you know, I, it's not like a hold on to it or anything, or I'm just keeping track of it. So it's just another thing to be transparent about. Um, and like I said in that, that prayer where I just ask God to help me focus not on the number, but on, like, the reality of what it means to be present in a body that's healthy. So those are things that I do sort of counteract that. Thanks so much, Colleen. That's all the time we have for questions. I'll turn the meeting now back over.